Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to register for NDC London, January 28th to February 1st. Back in the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster. Yep. And there's a great lineup of speakers. And of course, Scott Hanselman is coming back. And our friend Tess Ferrandez. So go to ndc-london.com to register. And if that isn't awesome enough, NDC is coming to Portugal. The new show is coming to Porto February 26th to March 1st. Two days of workshops and two days of conference. So go to ndcporto.com to register before December 31st and get early bird pricing. And get this, NDC is also coming to Copenhagen March 27th through 29th at DGIBN. It's two days of workshops and a one-day conference. Go to ndcmini.com to learn more. .NET Rocks episode 702 with guest Guy Smith Ferrier. Recorded live Friday, September 9th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. I'm in Connecticut. He's in Vancouver. We're bi-coastal. There you go. Don't tell anybody, especially my wife. Yeah, a little west, a little east. We make it happen. Yeah, what's up, man? Uh, yeah, what, I, what have I got to complain about? Are we having fun or what? We are having fun. Build was great, I think. We recorded this before build, but you know it was great. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure we had a great time. We we're talking I'll, about I'll that. I'll check the police reports. Find out what we did. Got to get that remote control working so we can go forward. <laughs> you in want time. the remote now, do you? <laughs> hey, uh, let's start with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, what do you got? Better Know a Framework. That's what we're talking about here. So there's a lot of people who didn't understand what I, we're talking about. In this, you know, just a little bit of the history of this name, Richard came up with it as a sort of a play on the Daily Show's Better Know a District. Right. I think that was actually Colbert Report, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Name. Yeah, Colbert Report. So he would walk around to senators in Washington and ask them questions about their own district that they couldn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> so you better know it. And uh, now we're not talking about the .NET framework. We've been talking about HTML5 tags because I think this is just stuff that even if we're not interested in it now, someday somebody's going to ask us to do it and we're going to be like, blah, 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 blah. So um, this tag is one that you know. It's the embed tag. Embed. Right. Now you might be saying, well, embed's been around for a long time. Well, yeah, but it hasn't been officially recognized as a tag. It was a Netscape tag, and, and then it was deprecated in favor of object. And so you would always put an embed inside an object tag just to support Netscape. Right. And, and browsers supported it, but it was never a really an, an officially supported tag. So now it's a full first-class citizen in all major, all five major browsers. It's the embed tag. Know it, learn it, love it. That's what you got to say about that. That's all I got to say. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 674. So that was, if you remember, Dominant Buyer at NDC. That was a good show. Where he nailed claims-based security. Yes. Really got it down pat. He made us care about it. Yeah, and, and be excited about it, which yeah. is weird. 
Yeah. And uh, Richard Rakima said basically the same sort of thing, but he let it off the right way. He says, I hate security. Yeah. But it is something that you must understand when you consider what is happening in an application that is distributed across the net. Thank you for helping me to understand the chaining of security tokens, as I always try to authenticate and authorize in the same step. I also appreciate Dominic's passion to make the subject alive and interesting. Please have Dominic on a DNR TV episode to put some meat and code on the structure he spoke to during the show. In particular, I would love to see a federated authentication using Azure's access control service, followed by the addition of claims to the security token via multiple steps. Good Lord. He's hit on the head. Talk. That's what's hard. Yeah. True. So there's a mission for you, Carl. Yeah. Now getting on Dominic's schedule, that's the hard part. Yep. We'll do it, though. We'll have to find a way. But that's a great idea. And Richard, totally appreciate your thinking there. We'll see if we can make it happen. And I, too, was really excited listening to Dominic talk about claims-based security. And for me, the cloud is the big part of that. I think it's what's making us move forward, the security model, is that we want to start using these cloud services, and only claims-based security will make it work. By the way, we had a lull in DNR TV uh, leading up to Build, and basically it's because any time that I would approach uh, somebody to do a DNR TV, they'd say, catch me after build. Right. And you know why? Because nobody knows what the hell was going on. Nobody knew what was going on before build. And so everybody's afraid of you know, promoting something that might be moot or yes. might be more important than it is. Or utterly changed. Or utterly changed, yeah. So I think uh, that's, that's pretty much why we had that lull. But uh, we're back on track. So check it out, dnrtv.com. And uh, also, feel free to wander over to franklinbros.com and listen to some sample tracks from uh, the Franklin Brothers' new album, Lifeboat to Nowhere. It's good stuff. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, things we could do better, things you can contribute to, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. We'll send you a mug. This is going to be an amazing show because Guy Smith Ferrier is here. Guy is an author, developer, and speaker with more than 25 years of software engineering experience. He's internationalized applications on four development platforms, including the .NET Framework. He's spoken at numerous conferences on three continents and is the author of .NET Internationalization, published by Addison Wesley. He founded the UK's .NET Developer Network and the DDD Southwest series of community conferences, held in Bristol, England. He blogs at GuySmithFerrier.com, is at GuySmithFerrier on Twitter, and is a Microsoft MVP. Welcome, Guy. Yeah, hey, Carl. It's great to be here. Hey, Richard. Hi, Guy. Well, you know, I wish we could spend an hour talking about internationalization because that is the most exciting topic I've ever, ever <laughs> talked to a guest about. <laughs> you know, I hear that all the time. It's... uh Internationalization, SharePoint, Windows Workflow, three of the most exciting subjects on the planet. And everyone's just at me all the time saying, please talk about your internationalization. Yeah. Not that emotive <laughs> headset, not that neuro headset with the mind control thing. Yeah, we don't That's care about, so yesteryear. we don't care about ESP coming true. Let's talk about, <laughs> yeah. So this yeah, okay. is, I know where I stand in the world here. So this is pretty freaking amazing. So first of all, um, if you haven't heard about the Emotive, it's E-M-O-T-I-V, headset and the tools around it, you got to check that out online at emotive.com. 
basically they've created a headset that you wear that records your brainwave activity when you're thinking about certain things. And then those patterns are recognized and used to trigger events on a computer. And that's the basic gist of it. And Guy, you have done some work with the API that they have published for .NET and do uh, some talks around and on the web on how to control your .NET applications with the emotive headset, right? Yeah, this, this is astonishing, isn't it? I, it's amazing. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up with all these sci-fi movies and TV programs, and they're always talking about some kind of mind control. You think, oh, yeah, that's brilliant, but it's just a sci-fi concept. And then I, I was sitting in, uh, I was talking to Tim Huckabee, and uh, we, we share an interest in uh, multi-touch computing. And uh, he said, oh, um, you know, there's... Uh, you can put on this headset and do this mind control thing. I went, no, no way. I've got to get me one of those. Yeah. I've got one of these headsets. I wanted to see, is this thing real? I mean, can you actually do this? And it is astonishing because the thing is, they've been, they've been working on um, what's called brain-computer interfaces, BCI, brain-computer interfaces for decades now. And this kind of thing is previously been restricted to like large research labs and people putting on those skull caps that you wear in the bath and with having like hundreds of leads coming off them and typically those things have got like uh, 250 odd sensors on them uh, and they cost tens of thousands of dollars mm. and the difference that's happened in the last say five years and, and particularly with the emotive headset and a couple of others like it in the last two years is one these things uh, came down to an affordable price right. in that we as developers can now go out and buy one. Um, and two, there's both an unmanaged and a managed API. And you can write code against them. Right. And now this thing's accessible. It's in the hands of, of pretty much anyone who wants one. I find that astonishing. Now, you can go to YouTube and search for Emotive, and you can see the, the, the live demonstrations in front of an audience of people using this to control graphics on the screen and that kind of stuff. But um, the thing that we ought to talk about right away is that at Emotive.com, there are two different headsets, one for personal use and then one for developers. And the developer one is like a 1000 bucks, right? And the, the regular one is 400 or something? Yeah, so there's a, there are a number of different headsets. There's a, there's a consumer headset, uh, which is 300 US dollars which I don't think any of your listeners uh, are likely to want to use. One, one it's um, U.S. only, so they're, they're only even shipped Canada uh, uh, for the consumer headset. But also it's locked in, so uh, right. the EEG data that's uh, sent out the headset is encrypted, and it's locked into any application which you can buy off the Emotive store. And that's it. You can't write your own to it. No, that's it. You, if you use the C-Sharp API or whatever, um, the consumer headset won't use those uh, applications. So uh, it's probably not the most useful one. The one, the first one that's going to be useful is the developer headset, which is 500 US dollars. Mm -hmm. And then they go up after that. There's a research headset, 750 US dollars. And that's, there are some pretty cool things in there. I mean, if you're, if you're a neuroscientist, then that's probably the one that you want because that's, that's showing you what the different sensors are doing. Let me, let me take a step back for a moment if I can. Sure. Um, for, for those of 
your listeners that can't actually see one of these uh, headsets, basically what you've got is something that looks like, um, if you think of uh, using telephony and you've got some telephony headset with uh, a boom mic, take off the boom mic and stick on uh, 16 felt sensors which are dotted around your head. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of firmly pressed onto your head. Not so it hurts, but it's it's resting on top of your head. And these things are um, reading the different uh, brain waves. Now, these these different sensors, when you first look at it the first time, it looks like they're just dotted randomly across your head. But to a neuroscientist, these are specifically placed in certain areas. Right. So just to delve into the science for a second, there's a, for example, there's a T7 sensor. And that's the sensor which is just above your left ear. On the right-hand side, there's a T8 sensor just above your, your right ear. And these sensors have got known names in, in the world of neuroscience. If you say, oh, it's, a, it's an AF7, then a neuroscientist will know what that sensor is, will know what part of the brain it's picking up, and know where on your head that AF7 sensor is placed. Yeah. And the reason why these aren't just like randomly dotted around your head to, to give you the most possible coverage, the reason why they're at specific points is your brain, as, as you probably know, your brain has got different lobes that do different things. So at the back of your head, you've got an occipital lobe, um, and that's responsible for your, your vision, for example. So the emotive headset has an O1 and an O2 sensor at the, at the back of your head, which is picking up the information for for um, your visual processing. And then there's, I mentioned the T7 and the T8, which are doing the temporal lobes, and there's um, a P7 and a P8, which is doing parietal lobes, mm-hmm. and AF7 and AF8 are doing uh, your frontal lobe. So the different parts of the brain and do, doing different processing. So if you, if, if take for example, you're going to read a map and, and you want to go somewhere, then as you're looking at the map, um, the O1 and the O2 sensors are going to be very important because you're using your eyes to look at the map. Right. And then in addition to that, um, your P7 and P8 sensors are going to be very important because that on your parietal lobe, and that's what's covering spatial orientation, mm-hmm. and you'll be perceiving the map in your mind. And then in addition to that, you may be thinking, well, I need to do some route planning, and I need to make some decisions about how to get from this place to another place. So then the AF7 and the AF8 sensors, which are on your frontal lobe, uh, will be very important because that's where you do all your decision-making and reasoning. So they're not just like randomly scattered around your head. And that brings me back to, we were talking about the, the research uh, version of this headset. Yeah. Um, that allows you to visualize the, the different uh, brainwave activity, which is coming from the different sensors. And if you're a neuroscientist, then that's what you need. You need that kind of information. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework 
to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. You know, I'm, I was looking at the Emotive Store, and there's a, an application that's free that emulates a keyboard. So, and it's so you can essentially think of the letter C, and it puts a C into the keyboard buffer, or essentially sends it sends a key to your application. Whatever is that? Is that really working well? <laughs> well, there, there's a number of them out there that work in in different ways, and they're, they're aimed. Um, they're aimed at the disability market, um, whether you have locked-in syndrome, uh, which is where your body is completely immobile. Typically, though, with locked-in syndrome, mm. uh, your eyes are still usable. Um, so it's, let me backtrack again for a moment. Um, there, there's different things this, this headset can do because it's actually looking at different parts of the brain. Um, one of the areas that it looks at is your facial expressions. Um, mm. And so if you, for example, if you smile then it can recognize a smile. Mm-hmm. If you look left, it can recognize you looking left or looking right. It's not doing that with any kind of camera recognition or anything like that. It's, it's doing it from the brain waves that you send out when you look left or when you blink or something like that. Right. So if you have locked-in syndrome, then often it's your facial muscles which are still available to you, or, or at the least um, your eye muscles are still available to you, and you can look left. And using things like the the, um, uh, the Neuro headset comes up with something called EmoKey, uh, which allows you to say, when you detect this particular action, then stuff these keys into the keyboard buffer, or left mouse click, or right mouse click, or do different things. Mm. So you could, in theory... Use your computer solely from emo key. It is tedious. Um, yeah. So the, the different the different typing programs out there, some of them are, are simply well, you've got a visual keyboard in front of you, and you're moving uh, the mouse cursor from key to key to key, and then you blink on it to select that that keystroke. And based upon systems like that, you can you can guess that you're going to get something like five to ten characters a minute. Right. Now, whereas that's, that is pretty slow and But tedious, for somebody who can't do otherwise, it's revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Although the downside then is, how long can you do it for? Right. I mean, I mean, we don't think about focusing and concentrating that hard for periods of time, but yeah. after an hour of doing that, you're pretty much exhausted. Huh. So... But then again, so there are there are lots of typing programs which are opening up a world of opportunity uh, for people that couldn't otherwise use a computer. And you say it also reads emotions, like it can use your emotional state as an input. Isn't that incredible? That that is amazing. Yeah, they have this um, effective suite, um, and so it's reading it's reading a, a number of different basic emotions. Uh, there's a there's a um, video that I did uh, that's up on a couple of videos I did which are up on YouTube uh, where I recorded my emotional state whilst listening to a couple of pieces of live music um, and you, you can watch the re- 
It's just the recording of uh, the different feeds which are, are coming out of the emotive headset. And it's showing things like instantaneous excitement. So if you're in, if you're playing some computer game and you are wandering around some maze and you open the door and behind the door there's, there's some monster. If it's scary enough, you should see a peak in your instantaneous excitement. Right. You say, oh wow, that was exciting. But then once you've seen the monster, it's, it's still exciting, but it's not instantaneous. You've seen it. Right. Um, so there's, there are different kinds of excitement. So you can have um, long-term excitement. Say, I'm quite excited about wandering around this maze in this game. Um, and then there's the opposite to that, which would be boredom. Um, and there's engagement in the activity that you have. So if you're thinking, yes, this, I'm not actually excited, but I am interested in this task. So a, a strategy game, for example. Mm. And the, the last one that they track is uh, meditation. Um, which <laughs> I haven't been able to <laughs> be able to affect this at all because I can't meditate. Difficult to meditate. Seems like something that should be the easiest thing in the world for a human being to do is very difficult, especially if your head is full of stuff. Yeah, and that's actually a a big key to this uh, to this headset is our heads are full of stuff, and actually concentrating is one of those skills that we don't generally have. Uh, I'm concentrating on the level that you need to to perform a conscious action. Um, so I, I think one of the things that uh, I find interesting about the uh, uh, these recordings that I did on on YouTube of listening to music is there are two different pieces of music there. One is a, a slow blues. Uh, I like slow blues. Uh, I I feel that's very rewarding. But if you watch that particular video, you can see after about two minutes the levels start to decrease. The scale from 0 to 1.0. You can see the uh, instantaneous excitement has dropped to about 0.6, and the engagement, again, is around about 0.6. If you then watch the second video, which is uh, a fast boogie uh, by a guy called uh, Big John Carter, I like fast boogie too, that's a much more frantic piece of music. And you can see that there's a black line in there which is showing instantaneous excitement. You can see that black line is jumping. It's around about the 0.8 mark. And frequently it's maxing out at 1.0. You see, this is a piece of music that I'm really into. And then it drops down again and it goes back up again as it's instantly exciting and not instantly exciting. But if you also look at the red line, you can see that red line is the overall engagement. You can see that's around about 0.8, 0.9 for most of the song until right at the end of the song where all the levels plummet because the song's ended. It's just, so yeah, you, it records um, your emotional state and uh, you could use that for, well, one of the things that it's used for at Emotive um, is they, they give out one of these games, uh, they call it Spirit Mountain, which is where you play some kind of uh, mind power acolyte who's mm -hmm. learning his uh, his new skills. And he used different skills for pushing things around and lifting rocks and, and whatever. One of the things that's difficult to actually detect is it's reading your emotional state. So whilst you're playing the game, the background of the game is changing according to your own feelings. Huh. So it, it darkens the mood or it lightens the mood according to what you're doing. Can you get stuck in a loop there where 
you know, you, 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 you begin a downward spiral and then the, the environment turns really dark and all you want to do is climb out of it and it just keeps getting darker. And, oh, no. <laughs> I haven't seen that happen. Uh, but yes, I guess you could. As far as the API, I think I mentioned that, you know, the developer edition is like a thousand bucks. That's 500 for the developer headset, 500 for the developer API. Does that API allow you to do the training? Because training is an important part of any pattern recognition uh, thing. Yeah, the, the training looks a bit like um, um, when you do speech recognition right. uh, and you do some kind of training pattern. It, it looks a bit like that. And the classic training program that, that uh, comes with the emotive is there's a cube floating in midair. Right. And you have to manipulate this cube with your mind. Which is pretty exciting, to be honest. Mm. The first time you actually get it right, it, it gives you such a buzz. Um, and this thing's reading your cognitive state. Mm. So it's reading your intent to perform actions. And you start off with the basic training of your mind um, being in a neutral state. Well, right. What the... Um, what the emotive headset needs to do is it needs to compare different brainwave patterns between you doing nothing and you doing something. Mm. So you start off by trying to record yourself doing nothing at all, which is surprisingly difficult. Right. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to truly clear your mind. The, the, the best analogy here is when you're trying to go to sleep. You, you're trying to go to sleep and you can't go to sleep and you're feeling really frustrated and you're thinking, no, hurry up, I've got to go to sleep. And and you try to clear your mind, and you try to think of nothing at all. And you think of nothing, and you think of nothing, and you think of nothing, and you think, what about that program I was writing today? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Did I take the garbage out? Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and thinking of nothing is just so difficult. Um, so you record your mind trying to think of nothing at all, and not even hearing thoughts, not moving your eyes. Um, and that gives you a, a base pattern for what does your brain look like when it isn't doing anything. Well, and I guess then you can practice to... that with uh, with neurofeedback, and there is a neurofeedback device there that you can just sit and watch and try to, you know, like biofeedback gives you a little um, a tone, you know, depending on your mood. So as you hear the tone going down, you get feedback that says, oh, what I'm doing, i got to do that more. So, so yeah. that's a good thing to practice, I suppose, before you start your training. So I, I've tried it with that and without that. I actually find that it's helping me too much um, in that I'm focusing more on watching things happen than actually trying to make it happen myself. Okay. Um, so so when, you, when you go through this training process and you uh, clear your mind, the next thing you try to do is you try to move the cube. And a typical thing would be you try to push the cube away from you. You focus on that, and it records your thoughts whilst you're trying to push the cube away from you. Then when you try to actually do it for real, all the emotive engine's got to do is it's got to say, I'm, I'm reading the brain waves here from the different, there are 16 sensors on this thing. Yeah. I'm reading the different 16 sensors, and I'm comparing it to one of these two states, your brain doing nothing or your brain doing this push action. Right. And it's got to just choose between those two states. Now, and that's not a difficult thing for it to do. It gets more complex when there's a palette of 16, 17, 18, yeah. 19 things that it has to discern between. 
And that is really tough. As you add each one, so for example, you've got the cube and you've worked out how to push it. Then you try to pull it towards you. Now it's got to decide three different states. And then you want to move the cube to the left or the cube to right, and that's five different states. And it gives you an idea, it gives you a difficulty level um, of of how difficult what you're trying to do is. And by the time you've got to four different actions, it's pretty difficult. But I have noticed that... <laughs> You know, in like all the sci-fi programs, you you see the sci-fi movies and you see sci-fi TV programs with Star Trek and Star Wars or whatever. And there's this young person, this rookie guy who's who's trying to learn his new mind skills from this Jedi Master or whoever it is. And they try to do it and they fail and they're, they're dismal at it. And the Jedi Master or whoever it is always says to them, no, 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 you've got to clear your mind. You've got to focus on the task that you're trying to do. And after listening for, I don't know, 30-odd years to these things in sci-fi movies, it is astonishing that's actually true. All that advice we've been given in in these movies is actually what you have to do. You really do have to clear your mind and focus on what you're trying to do for several seconds at a time. And I found that to be so hard. So if you meditate regularly, this should be easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'd think this is just training for being able to do that, that, that there's mental exercises. And I wouldn't be surprised if when these things become commonplace and people are wearing them walking down the street, this actually becomes a new skill, which as a planet full of people, we start to learn how to control our minds properly. And certainly in the West, that's a skill that we desperately need to know <laughs> well, how to do. It, but it, you could equate it to typing. Right? It's just the same sort of thing of you, you know how to position your fingers on the keyboard, you know where those keys are, you don't have to look at your hands, like, it's a trained skill. It, it, it is, and it is interesting learning it. I, I've spent a number of hours, um, trying to move cubes around, uh, in space, and as there comes a point where you start off just trying to go, okay, I'm trying to push this thing away from me. Is it happening? No, it's not. And now I'm trying to push it again. Oh, look, it is happening. Was that me or was that just a random thing? And there comes a point in your learning process where you go, I'm trying to push it. And I understand that I understand how to push this cube now. I push it and the cube moves and I stop pushing it and it stops moving. Right. You go, I've got it. I've got it. And you go, how do I? Now I need to do that again. And you can't do it again. <laughs> it, it is a very interesting learning process. Um, focusing your mind and learning it's learning a new skill it is like riding a bike that yeah. you've never ridden before so my question about training gets back to the api in the api can i say turn on training and turn off training because i want to integrate that into my application yes so you, you can go through that um so with this api you've got a, a managed api and an unmanaged api um so you can uh, write this code in, in C Sharp or VB.net or, or whatever. And you basically get the information which is coming out of the headset. Now, the headset is sending raw data um, straight out to a USB key, which is sitting in your laptop or your, your desktop or whatever. That's sending the data off to what's called the Emo engine, uh, which is a processor which is going to read that data. And it interprets it and matches it against your trained signature. And it says oh, I'm going to interpret that as a push action or as a blinking of your eye or as a heightened emotional state. And then it sends that information on to you. 
So you, with your C-sharp API or whatever you do, you make a connection to the headset, um, and you and it calls you back with an event. So you register an event, and it calls you back, and it says, okay, there's been a change in state now, and you can read all of that information. And there's, a, there's a ton of information there. You can read the person is blinking, the person is smiling, the person's clenching their teeth, the person is bored, the person is consciously trying to push or rotate to the right. And you get all of that as as a callback, and which I find astonishing, yeah, which means is. you can write pretty much anything you want. In addition to that, you also there's a gyro in the back of the uh, uh, the headset. So if you want to just simply detect them moving their head up or down or left or right. So if you wanted to say you've got a you've got a dialogue box which has got yes and no on it, and you want the action of nodding the head to activate the yes button or shaking the head to activate the no button, then you can do that clearly enough with, with the um, the gyro information, which is just being fed out as a stream uh, to your .NET application. Or if you want to, you can take the raw stream out of each and every sensor. And whereas that sounds great, you need the help of a neuroscientist right. to make any kind of sense of what on earth does that mean? Because that's decades of research in there that... Whereas this is like making it accessible to us as developers, where our skill is, is development, it doesn't make us neuroscientists, and we right. need their help desperately. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Crape City. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Boss comes and says, sales are up this week. I'm taking everybody out to lunch. Awesome. Next day, oh, we're taking a loss. What happened? Well, you're a developer. You can create a report. So you go to your boss and say, okay, what should I report on? And they have no idea. Well, here's the good news. Active analysis from Grape City Power Tools empowers your boss, the money guys, so they can find the answers to their own questions. And the best part is, it's a control. Completely self-contained BI. Using a drag-and-drop interface, users can easily discover trends in the data, and more importantly, the deviations from those trends through its powerful graphical analysis capabilities. Development against the control is easy. All you have to do is provide the data. Active analysis will take care of the aggregation, grouping, filtering, and sorting for the user. Of course, it offers programmatic control of all these operations, too. So if you want more company lunches, do your boss a favor. Use active analysis. For a free evaluation please go to gcpowertools.com slash analysis. And don't forget to thank Grape City for being a great sponsor of .NET Rocks. So can I turn on the training mode in my app? Can I say, I want you to listen now and I want to record something as an action, give it a name and all that, or do I have to do that with their software? Um, so you're going to need to do that through the control panel. Um, it has a, a training process, um, and you can say at this moment in time, I'm trying to train the push action or the pull action, and there are predefined actions in there. But you don't actually, the push action doesn't actually need to be push, for example, or left or right, right. or lift or rotate to the right or anything like that. You can say the lift action is going to be run through this door. 
That right. would be, he doesn't know that lift is not lift. Right. So, so what would happen then when you develop an app and you give it to a user, they have their emotive headset, they go to their training panel and you, you give them the, the things that they need to think about. And once those are defined, then you can use them. Then they, they come through your, uh, your event handlers. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they trained something to be pushed. They, in fact, they don't even need to be thinking about push at the time. Right. That's just, I mean, largely that's just a label. So are there, is there any kind of real software being done with this other than pushing blocks around? Um, what, what kind of things have you, <laughs> what have you seen people do, uh, that would actually add value to their, to them? Well, there, so there's, I, I think there's some really cool stuff here, although I, I will say, in terms of the commercial arm of this, this research, uh, neuroscience as a, as a subject has gone on realistically for, for many decades, 40, 50 years, and if you want to be pedantic, back to ancient Egypt. But in terms of a commercial headset and it being in the hands of, of real people, um, yeah, I, there are many areas which um, this is servicing. There is the, it's aimed primarily at uh, the gaming market and I don't actually think that's the best target market for one yeah, of these headsets. Right. You don't um, want Twitch games running off this headset. It doesn't sound like it's that fast. No, I, I, I think uh, so. If you were moving left or right, I, I personally would use a, a console pad uh, yeah. much faster to move left and right, particularly the fire button to fire. Thinking about it, I don't. I think actually decreases my performance time yeah. as it stands at the moment. So I, I'm not sure about that that particular avenue. Well, one of the big avenues, though, is uh, what's called BCI, brain computer interfaces. So it would be typing programs and generally controlling a computer for people with locked-in syndrome or, or other conditions, which make it very difficult for them to control a computer. Now, the extension of that is any physical device. So if you can control your, your computer and get the computer to do things, have a think about all the physical devices which are out there which require some sort of remote control joystick. Right. Think of everything which has got a joystick and then throw the joystick away yeah. and replace it with a headset. Now you don't need your hands to move things anymore. And there is a lot of work being done in that area. The, the trivial kind of stuff, like you can see on YouTube, there's a, I don't want to trivialize this, but you, you can see on YouTube there's a clip of people controlling a UFO. So there's a remote control UFO which flies left, right, forwards, backwards, up, down. And you could control that with a headset. But the UFOs don't particularly have a front and a back, so it's not overly useful. When you connect it to more realistic devices, so one of the ones which is uh, very popular out there, which is a, uh, is a RoboDance 5, which is a house robot. Right. Now, imagine that you're completely immobilized, but you could still control a robot, which will move around your house doing tasks for you. And they extend that kind of thing into controlling robot arms. So if you were immobilized, but you had a robot arm by the side of your bed, the people are already experimenting with things like feeding and drinking mm. and moving wheelchairs without, with again, without having the uh, the joystick. That, but that makes it still a prosthetic device rather than, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. 
a preferred mode of, of operation. Now, I keep falling back to this idea of what about programming wearing this thing? Even if you're just oh, measuring the emotional state, how that might reflect in your programming. I'd like to just collect that data and see what we got. Hmm. So people are using that emotional state in uh, something called uh, neuromarketing. Right. They say, well, we want to stick a headset on you, and we want to record your emotions in different marketing situations so that we can do the ultimate in in market research. Oh, yeah, I'm sure everybody would sign right up for that. <laughs> I'm sure everybody <laughs> sign up. They're running out to sign up for that. Yeah, <laughs> let me help you sell me stuff. Oh, great. <laughs> I think one, one of the coolest things I've seen is uh, something called Brain Driver, some guys in uh, uh, in Germany have hooked up this headset to a car. <laughs> Can you not? Oh, they man. sit inside a car and they That's drive the car using this headset. So dangerous. And <laughs> yeah, so they they stressed, don't do this at home. Yeah. Uh, they stressed, we we've, we've hired an airfield just to drive this car around. Um, but the car is moving left and right and speeding up and slowing down on demand without without the driver touching the, the steering wheel or using the pedals. Oh, and you man. go, okay, so that's the... Th- what I find fascinating about this is that's where we are today. What we know about this is there's always a tomorrow. People work stuff out and they move to the next level, whatever the next level is. And today it's just moving a car in in a limited fashion. What would it be in five years? Yeah, I just don't want to wait anymore. I want to do this. And the other the other area, which is the neuro headsets uh, being used for a lot, is uh, neuro research. Um, and there are a number of if you're in, if you're a neuroscientist, then you get into this area. Well, there are a number of packages out there which the uh, the emotive uh, supports are BCI 2000 and Open 5, which are, are free packages for doing uh, uh, neuro research. And what's interesting I find about this is you take those packages which have previously been useful for people with budgets of 10, 20, 30,000 US dollars, and you, you say, well, okay, now this works with a $300, $500 headset. Wow, you just open that up to so many more people. And this whole field takes a massive step forward. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, just making it cost effective. I'm still thinking in terms of like usability testing for software. Just putting this headset on so that you part of your capture is not just what the person said about the product, but how they've actually reacted to it. Yeah, that would be cool too. But driving a car with your brain? That's scary. That's a little scary. Knowing the state of most people's brains. <laughs> yeah. Did you try it drunk, guy? <laughs> Do you have a little scrumpy and put the thing I on? No I'm just system. asking. <laughs> I haven't tried it drunk. I tell you what, I will for the sake of for the sake of research. Purely for research purposes. What I have tried though. And all of a sudden is, beep, 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 beep. I see you're drunk. You should try <laughs> Maker's Mark whiskey. Next time. <laughs> so I, I tried it. I tried doing various different things. When when you sat in your own study and you're using this headset, you go, "Yeah, it's in the cold light of day. It's it's easy. I can do this." And then I go and give a presentation and try and move the cube whilst giving a presentation. I I was pretty certain this would happen, and it did. My brain is in a completely different state when I'm giving this <laughs> presentation, and it is so much harder to move the cube. <laughs> 
people think I'm pulling a fast one. They say, you can't really move this cube, can you? I don't know. I can. No, another five minutes. I can do this. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you'd actually have to have a presentation to do the the training session in order to be able to do the presentation where you operated it. It, it is tough. You're, I swear my brain works differently. Yeah. Men, well, it's a mentally stressed state being on stage. Even after all this time, uh, I mean, it's we've all done it for, for sorry guys, but decades. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> true. <laughs> sorry, I guess I shouldn't have said that, but but it's still. I swear, my brain's in different states, no matter how long I, I, I've been doing this kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, I would say even more so. We're so used to dropping into that state now with all that practice. In, indeed. But you go to put the headset on and say, now, I swear, honestly, honestly, I can move this cube and the same <laughs> cube doesn't move. Uh, yeah. So one, one thing I, I, I didn't mention, which uh, I, I think would be very interesting uh, for people who are looking at this saying, yeah, that sounds really cool, but I don't have 500, 750 US dollars. I'm still like to have a go with this. I think the thing that they need to look for here is something called the SDK Lite, uh, which mm. is on the Emotive um, uh, website, which is a free download. Uh, the SDK Lite uh, is completely free, and it comes with the control panel, uh, and includes a piece of software called the Emo Composer. Uh, sometimes you've got to laugh at these names, but anyway, it's, it's an Emo Composer, and it's a fake headset. It's... Um, uh, so you don't actually have a physical headset anymore. You have, you have a piece of software which is emulating a headset. And uh, it will work with the control panel and with EmoKey, the, the uh, piece of software which sends keystrokes. And you set up this Emo Composer to say, right, the headset is now blinking eyes or is now smiling. And it will send that signal off to whatever software is listening for it. Now that's great for a number of things. It's great because it's free, and, and you can get into trying out um, this stuff for no cost at all. It's also great if you're writing your own software, because when you're writing, so the, the um, one of the demos that I do is writing my own avatar. Um, I've created, a, I've sliced and diced various images, and according to the facial state of the person wearing the headset, it shows different images like smiling or frowning or eyebrows raised or, or whatever. And it slices and dices pictures and, and shows them so you can see an avatar doing whatever the person is doing with the headset. And that sounds great until you've got to actually test it. And it's really wearing because you'll have to test, you have to wear the headset for the whole time you're testing a program. And <laughs> so you want, you want an emo composer to say, no, I've had enough with wearing this headset. Let me send the smile action to the headset so I know this is definitely going to work. So that's good, but it's also it's also not good in that it is 100% accurate. When you actually put on one of these headsets and you try and smile, most of the time it works. Then half the time when I smile, it comes out as a grimace. Mm. You think, yeah, that's not 100% accuracy. Right. And you kind of need to build that into your program. You need to know it's not going to work all the time. Otherwise, you're going to be under some uh, false illusion. It's crazy. Well, and, and this is the thing that people, well, you know, why haven't we improved on the keyboard? It's the same sort of problem. Does it need improving? Absolutely. It's the, you know, the, we know the keyboard is designed to be as inefficient as possible. 
<laughs> right? That the keys were actually positioned so that the the most common keystrokes were far away from each other on the keyboard because the keyboard jammed. That's the whole design of the QWERTY keyboard. But once you learn it, you can be faster with the keyboard than any other input device. When Until comes- you use a Dvorak keyboard, which is actually designed for most efficient, and if you can learn it to the same level, you're about twice as fast. Huh. And Dvorak keyboards have been around for years, but people don't use them. See, I, I agree. It is, it is a very fast input device. But you take a keyboard and a mouse and you put, there are certain places where these don't want to be. Yeah. They don't want to be in your living room because they destroy the aesthetics. They don't yeah. want to be in your kitchen because they won't last more than five minutes. You get jam all over them or something like that. Right. You can't put them in a hospital because they get destroyed in a hospital. So I, I personally do want other input devices like multi-touch or the Connect or mind control. I think, I think we are now entering a completely new era where the keyboard and the mouse will be in the office place and the workplace for, for a long, long time and for writing books, but they're not going to survive outside of the workplace for much longer, in my opinion. This headset goes well together with the Kinect, don't you think? You mentioned it. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. That, that would be fascinating, wearing one of these and doing Kinect at the same time. Right, because with the combination yeah. of what you're thinking and what you're doing physically with your body, you can really hone in on, on the accuracy of things. Indeed. In the, if you look at the um, uh, some of the advancements which are which are coming up this this thing at the moment sends the uh, signals out to a usb key uh, which is then processed on, on your laptop or your your desktop or whatever but that's kind of linking you into some large lump of hardware and if you free yourself from that large lump of hardware you open up the possibilities quite considerably one of the things which is I always say there's a version two of everything. And if we look at the, I don't know whether it's version two or version three or whatever, one of the things coming down the pipeline is um, the engine which processes the the brain waves that are coming in and then actually makes sense out of them and then sends them on to other uh, some other device will be taken out of the PC and will become some other device that you fit on your person. Right. It will then send the signals straight out to a Bluetooth device or a Wi-Fi device, and that opens it up to your smartphone or your iPad or your games console. And if it opened it up to your smartphone, you could wear one of these walking down the street or on the train, and you don't need your big, bulky laptop, desktop, or whatever anymore. That, see, for me, that just opens up a whole world of new possibilities. It's not a cumbersome device anymore. Yeah. Certainly is interesting. So um, we're going to have to just keep our eyes on this thing. I I bought a, a headset, and you got to be careful that if you're going to do any development, buy the developer headset and the and the SDK. Um, I I made the mistake of buying the um, you know the consumer version, and I didn't really get any response to my request to change my order. So they went ahead and sent it to me anyway. But I haven't got it yet. But it's all the same headset one way or the other. It's no. just a difference of the USB key and the software. And and the consumer headset is locked into um, the EEG signal, which is decrypted only by the consumer uh, headset. So you have to use the applications which are on the emotive store, and you can't use it with any other applications. 
because it looks like there's two different USB keys for this thing. One that for the consumer and one for the developer. Um, I, I think it's the encryption key which they use to uh, uh, decrypt the EEG signal. I think that is the the difference because when you when you submit your your uh, application to go onto the uh, Emotive Store, um, they then change the DLL that you're using to a different DLL okay. with a different key in it. So the set is the same, the key and the the software changes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, I don't see anything about upgrading, though. I don't I, see anything about upgrading either. Okay. I, I don't think that's an option. Um, I don't know what their money-back guarantee is. Um, but, yeah, you, you need to start at the developer version. Yeah. So don't, don't do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Guy, this has been a fascinating hour. And uh, I think even if you're not a developer, this is, this is a good show to listen to. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And uh, I, I would, the thing that I, I would say to everybody is we're, I feel that we're at the beginning of the commercial um, phase of this particular branch of science. And I, and I can't help but think, so you could do this now. I mean, there, are, there are niggles. There are things that don't work as well as you want them to work. This is the first step, and you go, what would it be like in two years' time if this is where we are now, or five years' time? And I can't help but be excited by that. It's going to be fun. All right, Guy, well, keep doing what you do, and any place that you want to point us to that we haven't already talked about, uh, just shoot us a link, and we'll put it on our website. And, uh, man, just keep doing it. Will do. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Richard. See you. All right, and we'll see you next time on Donnie Rocks. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a